Please stand as you are able for the reading of today's gospel from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Fran, for reading our lesson this morning. I mentioned to Fran as we were beginning to process in today that the scripture verse uh, is very brief, but the commentary following is pretty lengthy. Uh, we, uh, we welcome uh, each of you. This is the second Sabbath of summer and especially grateful for our ensemble this morning. I call this the Youth Marine Ensemble because it's the, the few, the brief, and the proud that are here. Um, and so we're grateful to them. They're preparing uh, soon to take off on their choir tour. As Jeff mentioned, that's, uh, they'll be returning three weeks from tonight. We'll have a chance to enjoy that worship experience together. With If you've never been uh, to one of those youth choir homecoming, home, homecoming tours, it's just an awesome worship experience. And so we pray for them. We remember today the backpacks that we're a part of and uh, are grateful to them. Some of you were here all week during Vacation Bible School, and what a week it was. We had uh, over 300 kids and nearly as many uh, youth and adult counselors. There are about 500 folks in the building this week, Monday through Thursday, and a part of their mission uh, was called Shower Up Nashville. Uh, this is a mission where there's a trailer that has showers on it that travels through Midtown and other areas where there's a need so that it offers to those who are homeless uh, a hot shower. And so our, our young people, our students in Vacation Bible School raised in addition of 2000 uh, in advance of $2,000 for a new generator for that ministry. And the trailer was here, and we had a chance to go through and see what that ministry is like. And then they collected over 500 personal items that will be a part of that ministry. And so a special word of thanks. If you see Megan Teagarden uh, today, she's very sleepy today, our children's director, and you'll want to hug her neck as well as Ellen Garrett and all of our volunteers uh, we're grateful. And uh, one other thing before we get to the text, all I can say is anchor down today. <laughs> what a week uh, for the Commodores, national championships a second time in the last six years, and we're grateful. We had Tim Corbin, uh, the coach here several years ago to speak, and we're going to need to do that again, although I think it may be harder to get on his schedule now after the victory this week. So today we're starting a new series, our summer series, called Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. Now, I need, I need to confess to you at the beginning that I stole this idea from our youth ministry, although I'm pretty sure that Adam Jones also stole it from another church. And so for the next six weeks, we're going to look at some of the more difficult expressions or sayings of Jesus passages that contain what we might call the hard sayings or the harsh sayings of Jesus, like Matthew 5, 21 and 22, where Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, and whoever murders is liable to judgment. But I say to you, if you're angry with your brother, your sister, you're liable to judgment. 
I say to you, said Jesus, if you insult a brother or sister, you are liable to the hell of fire. I wish Jesus hadn't said that. There are others like Luke 14, 25, 26, whoever comes to me and does not hate father, mother, sister, brother, wife, children, yes, and even life itself cannot be my disciple. That's a hard saying. There are others we'll look at like turn the cheek, judge not lest you be judged, let the dead bury the dead. I wish Jesus hadn't said everything that Jesus said, but he did, and we can't ignore it. We can't avoid it. In fact, we need to interpret it and understand it in order to learn how to apply it in our daily lives. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but sometimes what the hearer hears is vastly different from what the speaker intends to say. I found that to be true in my life. People, you'd be surprised some of the things that people say to me after worship that leave me wondering, what do you mean by that? For example, a while back, someone came up to me after the benediction, shook my hand, and said, and I quote, I really appreciated last week's sermon. (laughs) What do you mean by that? Several years ago, after I'd graduated from seminary and been ordained, someone came to me after I had preached and said, did you actually finish seminary? (laughs) What do you mean by that? It's like when somebody comes up to you and says, you know, you are really one unique individual. What do you mean by that? About two months ago, someone came up to me after the service, and this is what they said. I was at the zoo last week, and I thought of you. (laughs) And I was ready for that on this day, and I said to them, you know, every time I see you, I think of you. (laughs) And she said, what do you mean by that? And I said, exactly. (laughs) So what we say and what we mean isn't always exactly the same. And so we come to the text. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And if I'd been there that day, I'd have said, Jesus, What do you mean by that? Well, let me give you a little context. These two little verses are actually a part and parcel of the Sermon on the Mount, which begins in chapter 5, ends in chapter 7 of Matthew's narrative. This particular saying that Fran read for us follows closely on the heels of the prayer that we prayed a few moments ago that Jesus taught his disciples. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It's actually the disciples' prayer. And these two verses function as a commentary on the fifth petition of that prayer. Now, if you're counting, there are six petitions in the Lord's Prayer. The first three concern God, His name, hallowed be thy name, His kingdom, thy kingdom come, His will, thy will be done. It focuses on God, His name, His kingdom, His will. The last three petitions of the prayer relate to our needs our daily bread, 
our trespasses, our temptation. Now, it's interesting to me that of these six petitions, Jesus chooses to clarify the fifth petition. And that petition is, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's interesting, the word trespass, it means a false step or a lapse or a slip up. In the Aramaic language in which Jesus spoke, the better translation of trespass is debt. We know that word. More often, we translate that word to mean sin, and that's appropriate, wrongdoing. Augustine, the fifth-century theologian and philosopher of the church, called this fifth petition a terrible petition. Because, Augustine said, if you pray these words while at the same time harboring an unforgiving spirit, you are actually asking God not to forgive you. You say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, think about it. If you really mean what you say, if we really mean what we say when we say forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, we may actually be asking for trouble. That little adverb, as, in the prayer is important. It literally means in the same spirit or to the same degree. So paraphrase the petition. Father, forgive us our sins against you in the same way that we forgive others' sins against us. That's risky. If you pray that prayer, instead of being a blessing, it just may be a curse because we're asking God to deal with us just like we deal with others. I wish he hadn't said that. It reminds me of the old story of John Wesley and General Oglethorpe. They worked together in America in 1735 in a little debtor's colony, which would later be named the state of Georgia. Mr. Wesley was a missionary in Georgia, as you recall, spent 18 months there, was a dismal failure in his own eyes. And one day he was discussing with General Oglethorpe the issue of forgiveness. Now, Oglethorpe was known to be a rather harsh and callous soul. And so in the context of this conversation, the general said to Mr. Wesley, I never forgive and I never forget. To which Wesley replied, then, sir, I hope you never sin. What does he mean by that? He means that God deals with us in a similar way that we deal with others. To make sure we get this, then Jesus adds this little commentary in the sixth chapter, 14 and 15, to the fifth petition. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive you. What does he mean by that? I want to mention two things. First of all, he means to say that we are all sinners in need of grace. Christianity has no message for those of us who do not realize that we're sinners. So today, if you, if you don't consider yourself a sinner, you can just tune out for the rest of the sermon. Now, I realize I don't need to tell some of you that. You've already done it. 
but I'm talking to sinners this morning, only to sinners, which is basically everybody here. The second thing is this, for those of us who have actually received God's grace, to deny this grace to others invalidates our witness. In other words, refusing to forgive another is a form of impenitence that actually winds up blocking the flow of divine grace in us. Uh, It's kind of like, let me use the analogy of a clogged coronary artery. It's kind of like having uh, a clogged artery. If the flow of blood from the heart is being blocked from delivering the necessary juice to the body, then your life is in danger. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be cardiac arrest. There's going to be heart attack. Well, in the same manner, when the flow of grace becomes obstructed by a blockage, by baggage, by bad blood, or bitterness or contempt, the soul itself becomes threatened. In fact, I've discovered that withholding forgiveness from another is kind of like burning the bridge that we just walked across. By the way, Jesus is not commanding us to do anything that he's unwilling to do. In fact, his last words on the cross were these, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's the keynote of the gospel, forgiveness. It was C.S. Lewis who said, to be Christian means to forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. I'll tell you, whenever I'm tempted to become high and mighty about my piety and about somebody else's sin, God reminds me of my own sin. It's a terrible habit that God has, and I'm brought to my knees in repentance. But here's the good news. There is more grace in God's heart than there is sin in your past. That's good news, isn't it? There is more grace in the heart of God than there is sin in my past. Somebody asked me the other day, is there an unforgivable sin? And I thought about it and said, the only unforgivable sin is the sin you don't confess to God. There's a fascinating section in Matthew 18. When I was studying Matthew 6, 14 and 15, and thinking about the petition, the prayer, I remembered Matthew 18 where Peter, this is in verse 21, Peter is trying to wrap his mind around this forgiveness business, and so he comes to Jesus with a question, or at least it seems like a question at first. You remember the question? Teacher, he said, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother, sister, when they sin against me? And Peter answers his own question. This is just like Peter, isn't it? It's not really a question. He's got an answer that he wants a blessing to. Seven times? How many times must I forgive? Seven times? And he thinks he's being super generous when he says it, and it is pretty generous when you consider that in the first century, the standard rate for rabbis was three times. Three strikes and you're out. And so Peter's kind of raising the bar here, but Jesus' response is outrageous. 
No, not seven times, he says, but 77 times. Or some of your translation says 70 times seven, whether it was 77 or 490, whoever knows what it is. But what does he mean by that? He means quit counting. Every now and then I run into a person, sometimes in the church, who thinks that their spiritual gift is bookkeeping on other people's sins. Keeping a scorecard on someone else's sins. And then I read what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongdoing. Stop counting is what Jesus is saying. Because when you're counting, you're not really forgiving. And then to drive home the point, still in Matthew 18, Jesus, just like a good preacher, tells a story. It's the story of the unforgiving servant. There was once a wealthy king who was conducting a little audit in his kingdom. He was reviewing the files, the accounts, and during this little audit, this assessment, he discovered a problem in his cabinet. One of his lead team had been cooking the books, misappropriating funds, and not nickel and diming. I'm talking about big money. He embezzled, says Jesus, 10,000 talents. Now, in the currency of the day, a talent equals six drachmas. This is the equivalent of 15 years' salary for one talent for a tenured worker. When you think about it, Herod's tax base, Herod the Great's tax base for his combined territories annually was 900 talents. So we're talking big bucks here, 10,000 talents. In fact, it's higher than people could count. It would be like saying today a, a million, billion, zillion dollars. It's beyond all calculation. He's embezzled. And so the king does what kings do. He orders the servant and his family to be auctioned off as slaves. Man, wife, children, servants, all of them. He'll get back a pittance of what he's lost, and justice will be served. But when the servant comes in, he falls below the throne. He falls at the feet of the king, and he begs for mercy. I'll do anything, he says. I'll do everything. I'll pay you back every penny. And believe it or not, lo and behold, this king had mercy. And he canceled the debt, and he set him free, free as a bird. And here's where it gets ugly. This forgiven servant immediately goes out and corners a guy that owes him a hundred denarii. Now, if you're doing the math, a hundred denarii is one six hundred thousandth of what this guy had just been forgiven. <laughs> And he grabs him in a chokehold and demands full restitution. And when this guy begs for mercy, he's not given. He calls security on his cell phone. They come and cuff him until he can pay the debt. Meanwhile, back at the palace, the king catches wind, and he's not happy. When the king's not happy, it's kind of like when mama's not happy. He summons the ungrateful servant. How could you, he says. After everything that I have forgiven you, should you not have done the same for your fellow servant? And he handed him over until he could pay off the entire debt. And the moral to this story, 
is in verse 35, Matthew 18. So my Father will respond to you if you do not forgive your sister, brother, from your heart. Oh, I wish he hadn't said that. End of story. Jesus, what do you mean by that? Well, it's crystal clear. In the cross of Christ, God has forgiven us a million, billion, zillion, incalculable sum. In fact, it's an unpayable debt. He has shown to us grace beyond counting, grace beyond measure, and yet when we hold a penny anti-grudge against somebody else, it invalidates our own liberation, and I become incarcerated by my own ingratitude. There's an old story told about a mother who came to Napoleon on behalf of her son who was about to be executed. The mother asked the ruler to issue a pardon for her boy, but Napoleon pointed out that it was this man's second offense and justice demanded death, he said, to which she replied, I don't ask for justice, I beg for mercy, to which the emperor objected, but your son doesn't deserve mercy, to which the mother said, sir, it wouldn't be mercy if he deserved it. And he granted the pardon. Clara Barton, the founder of the American Red Cross, was reminded by a friend one day of a vicious deed that somebody had done to her years before. And she acted as if she'd never heard of the incident. And her friend said, what, don't you remember it? To which she said, no, I distinctly remember forgetting it. Psalm 103, one of the greatest passages, I think, in the Psalter, says, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is God's mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our sins from us. I'm glad he said that. If God can do that for me, maybe he can enable me to do it for somebody else. Indeed, it is his grace in us that enables us to be gracious. And so it turns out that this word that's such a hard word, it's a redemptive word for which we are supremely grateful. And he means exactly what he said. As you have been forgiven, so you too must forgive for Jesus' sake. Amen.